0: The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 3, The Tavern, Part 2. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Blue, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, please send it to Podcast at gmail.com. In this episode, we continue where we left off on Episode 2 where employees and patrons of the iconic tavern here in Austin, Texas, are experiencing things they can't explain. If you haven't listened to episode two, pause this and do it now. If you're already caught up, then just buckle up, because this is going to be one hell of a ride, listeners. The Night Owl Podcast is sponsored by Home Ads, a hassle-free website that fills the gap between short-term rentals and annual leases. Rent a place you love in a neighborhood that feels like home. Be sure to visit homeads.com for more information. When I concluded my initial interviews with the staff and patrons of the tavern from the previous episode, I reached out to my friend Sarah to see if she could visit this place with me and either validate some of the claims or possibly shed some light on what was actually going on there. Meanwhile, I began research at the Austin History Center and online archives of the Austin American Statesman that date back to the late 1800s. I thought there was bound to be something in the records about a young girl's death around that time tied to that location or at least something that perhaps mentioned the building being a secret brothel or speakeasy during the Prohibition era. I spent the day at the Austin History Center, then another two days researching online, and you know what I turned up? Nothing. Not a thing. That brought up a red flag for me. Another red flag that came up for me was that I found dozens of iterations of this ghost story about the tavern written in articles online and in print. They all had some similarities, but it was all very inconsistent. Some of the stories say that Emily was a prostitute working in the upstairs brothel. There were various stories about how she died, too. Some articles claim that she got caught in the middle of a barroom brawl and ended up being shot, in some cases beaten to death. And in some of these stories, she had a daughter who was with her who was also killed. And in many others, there's no mention of the daughter at all. Some articles report of the claims of people seeing Emily, the prostitute, in the second floor window. Then some articles tell the story we heard in episode 2, that Emily was the young daughter of a madam who worked in the upstairs brothel, and that a male customer of her mother's raped and murdered her and stuffed her in the third floor crawlspace. If you want to go down the rabbit hole I fell into, just type the tavern haunted Austin, Texas in Google search. You'll have plenty to keep you busy, trust me. The last thing that really started to eat at me was that I started to remember some of the stories I heard about the tavern long, long ago when I first moved to this city. Reading these old articles, it started to come back to me. When I went and had those amazing sliders one night several years ago, I remember the waitress mentioning the ghost of Emily, the prostitute, to me. This memory bothered me because it brought to mind the telephone game, where you sit in a circle and the first person whispers something in the person to their right's ear, then that person repeats what they recall of the phrase into the person to their right's ears, so on and so forth, until it all circles back to the last person in a circle, who then stands up and says aloud, what was just whispered to them. By this point, the phrase or sentence has been so garbled up that everyone gets a big laugh out of it. I realized the story started off with Emily as a prostitute, but now had morphed into this young daughter of the prostitute and met a much darker demise than what the original story had said happened to the prostitute. I was coming to the harsh realization that the stories about Emily, the child, although fascinating and scary, were most likely an exaggeration of an older tale that might have just been made up to go along with this setting of this old bar. But don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the stories the staff and the patrons shared with me on episode 2 were lies. I could sense that the encounters they had and what they shared with me was genuine. I don't doubt that those things actually happened to them and that they might still be occurring in the building. But what I started to realize is that what might actually be haunting the tavern may not be what they think it is. On October 25th, around 10.30pm, I found myself standing outside the tavern in the parking lot across the street again. As with before, I kept Sarah in the dark about all this. She knew nothing about what she was walking into, nothing about what the staff had told me. It wasn't long until Sarah and her husband parked and I walked over to greet them. There was something about them, Sarah and Renee, that felt comforting which was a good feeling to surround myself with as I'm about to dive in and investigate a haunted place that supposed history is anything but comforting. With our case at the tattoo shop from episode one, Sarah had reported that the spirit had visited her just after my phone call about coming and meeting me. So I was curious if she'd gotten any visits from anything connected to the tavern yet. But she shook her head. She said things were really quiet. Standing there, she continued to look up at the tavern. She said she was getting lots of smoke or fog, which was unusual for her but no entities or personalities yet. I let her know I was starting to have doubts about the claims and stories behind this place. I didn't give her details or reasons why, but I told her this because I wanted her to tell me in private if she was starting to read that nothing was there, so as not to upset the staff. It seemed like so many there truly believed in Emily. I didn't want us, some strangers coming in off the street, dismissing what they've all known and supposedly experienced there for years. Tonight, there was no World Series game on so it was a tad quieter, but it was still a rowdy sports bar with 48 TVs. We lingered on the first floor for about 20 minutes or so. Sarah was still getting nothing. Just smoke and fog. So we pushed up to the second floor. Here she got glimpses of something. A male spirit. But she said he didn't seem very strong. Almost like he was just a watcher. We stayed on the second floor for another 20 minutes. Sarah sketched what she was seeing and it appeared to be a man with a very large mustache.
1: But I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out and it's the second time I've drawn him, so I know he's got a big big like moustache. And he seems colored. a little angry. I'm getting a lot of mist. Uh, but that's all I'm getting. And he's not angry, but he looks angry. I'm thinking if they were to see this man they would see um they would see him in fog. Cased in fog or a shadow. But that's it.
0: It wasn't until we pushed onto the third floor that's off limits to patrons that Sarah got something more concrete. As we made our way up the stairs, she stops.
1: <laughs> you got a little prankster. That's what they've got. What are what you seeing? You've got a funny person in here that likes to fuck with the stuff. Uh, they They like to do the, the stair thing, come up the stairs and hide drop things, random things, make noises.
0: Did you get a sense of that what like what kind of person that is? No,
1: because they keep hiding and I can't I don't understand why they're doing that, why they're hiding. So that's a little odd. But it's this other it's this other person that I'm interested in finding. The other the other prankster type thing is more fun. It's not mm-hmm. and they're the ones if they're up here they're hearing when the stairs creak or stuff yeah. dropping. Or they can maybe come out and look and there's nothing there. I think that's what it is. It's just, this, And he's hiding from me, too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the deal is. I'm
0: not sure if you caught that, but Sarah said he, referring to the prankster, which the staff was assuming was Emily. I didn't say anything, though. I wanted to see where this was going to go. After a good while, 30 or 45 minutes, Sarah started to get a handle on things. She started noticing that the prankster spirit was traveling somewhere through the walls. It was staying within certain areas of the bar. When we were in the attic, it would disappear and it would go down to the second floor. And she somehow knew where it was going. So she would travel back and forth between the second floor and the third floor, confused because every time she got to where the prankster was, it would dart back up or back down. One interesting note, though, the place that this prankster was going to on the second floor is the closet that was said to have been Emily's. On about our third trip down, I follow Sarah to that closet, which is right by the waitressing station on the second floor. She went right to the doorway and stared into the dark closet.
1: See? It's that prankster. That's all it is. He's traveling from here to there. Because I just walked in. I just walked in and he went... Interesting. So weird. I've really never experienced something like
0: that. At this moment, I noticed Sarah fidgeting around. As if she's looking for something that was lost.
1: Uh,
2: what happened?
1: You can't. Need a seat? Did he take it? <laughs> Stone's missing. What happened just now? <laughs> Stone. I had it in my hand and it's gone now. So I must either... I didn't drop it. I had it. Okay. Well, I'm sure I'll get it back because you're going to give it back to me, right? If you
0: recall from episode two, the staff were reporting that the prankster who they were calling Emily liked to take things especially from women. And now Sarah's stone, which was an amethyst that she carried around with her, went missing. And apparently it was in her hand when it did. She eventually did get it back shortly after this happened.
1: I got my stone back, right away. Where was it? Right here. Wait, where did you find it? It was... On the steps. That's why I came in here, because it was in there. And you don't think you dropped it? Mm, No, because we would have heard it fall. It's a stone. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like... Did you just snatch that out of my hand? It's beautiful. And that's the prankster. And that's the
0: prankster. (laughs) The night continued like this for nearly an hour. I could see Sarah was getting frustrated, unable to pin what she was seeing down to an area long enough to read it. After nearly an hour of cat and mouse, Sarah starts to piece together a theory. She thinks the dumbwaiter, which is located right by the second floor closet, is allowing the prankster to travel through the walls from the third floor all the way down to the first floor. And can you guess where the dumbwaiter opens up downstairs? the kitchen
1: this is prankster territory okay that's what this is yeah this is prankster territory it makes noise it does it does yeah that's exactly what this is this is the same thing same thing from upstairs
0: getting any visuals
1: are you going to let me see you maybe no okay i think we need to test the theory
0: Okay, let's go test the thing. Sarah came up with a controlled experiment she believed might trap the prankster in the second floor closet long enough for her to get a clear view and maybe even communicate with it. It involved utilizing her husband, Renee, and the dumbwaiter. It's a small elevator for carrying things, especially like food and dishes, between floors of a building. This one was right next to the second floor closet by the waitressing station. Renee apparently wasn't favorable to the spirits, according to Sarah. Not sure why, but they didn't seem to like to be around him. So Sarah had a plan to open up the dumbwaiter on the second floor closet and hold it open there. Meanwhile, Renee would go upstairs and sit on the third floor stairwell, which is where the prankster liked to dart off to when Sarah was downstairs. Okay. we'll just leave it like that? Okay. That's me opening up the dumbwaiter. Sarah's making her way over to the closet, and Renee's on his way up to the stairwell. I join Sarah at the closet door. It's such a small space. I couldn't see anything but boxes and supplies. Sarah, on the other hand... Was seeing something. The experiment seemed
1: to have worked. <laughs> hey! You wanna come out of there? I'm not gonna hurt you. Hmm? He's not gonna hurt you either. No, he's not. He likes kids.
0: She's referring to Renee upstairs. It appeared the spirit was asking Sarah about him. And this was the first time I'd heard Sarah refer to the prankster as a kid. Sarah was also sketching something in her notepad as she was communicating with the spirit. I glanced down and noticed the drawing was of a little girl.
1: But that's you. Oh, it's bad. I know. I know, it's a bad picture. Do you like messing with the people here? Can you say your name? Can you show me a letter in your name? Do you know how to spell? How old are you? You can tell me that, how old you are. Who are you talking about? Um I don't see him. Okay, she went upstairs. What did she tell you? She said, Someone's coming, he's standing right there. There's nobody standing here. And she left.
2: I didn't see anybody.
0: So things were starting to get interesting now. It was close to midnight and the bar would be closing down in a few minutes. The whole night was like a game of hide and seek. Until now, Sarah hadn't gotten a good look at the prankster. Now that she did, she's saying it's a girl. I knew that this matched the stories more, but didn't mention anything to Sarah. Again, I wanted to see where this all was leading. But now, the smell spirit began to pique my interest. The whole night, it appeared he was somebody not to be concerned with. He seemed disconnected to the story surrounding the tavern. But as soon as he apparently showed up based on what the girl had told Sarah, the atmosphere changed. The prankster disappeared, kind of like it was scared of the man. I also noticed Sarah was growing a bit more concerned as well, although she was trying to hide it. We went back up to check on Renee on the third floor. Sarah passed the crawl space at the top of the stairs, like she'd done countless times that night. But she never once did as much as even glance down at it. I kept waiting for something to draw her attention to it, but it never happened. Yeah, I'm gonna wait over here. (laughs) It seemed to have worked. Really? For a while. Sarah suddenly started talking to the child again.
1: There's nobody downstairs. She not talking to me. Hmm? She not stop talking. Why are you going to stop talking to me? Fantastic. She's gone.
0: Okay. fine. She freak out. Can I show you something up here?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: As the night was coming to an end, I felt the need to take Sarah over to the crawl space just to open it up and see if she got anything. I was curious myself if the story of how Emily died was true in any way. As always, without saying anything. I just walked Sarah over to it. I don't know how this stays shut, but... Is there anything that you sense in there? Yeah. No, no, okay. Just then, as I had opened the door, out of nowhere, Sarah's hands came in and slammed it shut, as you just heard. Did you get something?
1: What happened? She said, don't open it. She's gone. He's there.
0: Sarah pointed directly behind me on the stairwell. She said the man from downstairs was now standing on the stairs behind me, and he looked very upset. This was the first time all night that the hair stood up on the back of my neck. The atmosphere went from positive to negative in just a split second, the moment I opened that crawlspace door. Sarah stood there, with her arms outstretched, her eyes shifting from the crawlspace to the back office and behind me on the stairwell. Then Sarah began talking to the man.
1: So what happens if I open that door? Hmm? I'm not going to open it. I'm just asking. They're both yelling at me. You don't want me to open it. Why?
2: You want me to open it?
1: Can he open the door?
0: Apparently there were no objections from the two spirits about Renee opening the crawlspace door. So he did. What is it? Sarah got on her knees and climbed in. I didn't expect her to do that. The opening was small. The space was extremely dark inside and very cluttered with boxes and other things that I couldn't make out. It went back a good ways into the darkness that we all couldn't see past. Lots
1: of smoke. What is... What? Okay, let's not do that. What happens? Oh, let's get the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold on. What happened? Damn this little kid This kid scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. Okay What happened in here? Can you tell me? Alright okay. okay. She looked very nervous She did
0: Yeah. And what about the character? Oh he's still standing there he, he doesn't come up?
1: Can you tell me what it is that you're waiting for? What are you looking at? What do you need? What did you think I was going to find? emily he said you were gonna find emily
0: when sarah told me the name my thoughts were going everywhere is emily real did this all really happen to her was my theory about all this being an exaggerated ghost story wrong how could this be my mind even went to asking could sarah be pulling the wool over my eyes Did she research the stories surrounding this place beforehand and now is using the information to trick me into believing in her gift? I found my thoughts were hanging on this last thought, but then my rational brain started to really think about this. If Sarah did research the tavern ghost story, then why would she get everything wrong at the start? If she was a fake trying to come off as the real deal, why would she say things that didn't match the stories online for the first two hours that we were there? I mean, it was minutes until closing now, she never would have gone to that crawlspace. I took her there because I wanted to show it to her. And then there's the drastic shift in things that occurred after that. Everything up until this point had been positive, fun, playful, calm. That man is not connected to any of the stories. The child was always reported as a young girl, so why would she make the mistake of it being a boy for so long? I kept wrestling with all this in my mind, but I decided to leave my mic with Sarah, who was going to climb back into the crawlspace and try to get some more information from Emily, while I went downstairs and tried to buy us some more time from the staff.
1: Were you trapped in here? Could you not get out? Do you like playing with the dumbwaiter? Why were you up here? Can you tell me why you're so sad? He can't hurt you anymore, you know that.
0: I was still downstairs and Sarah had my mic as she climbed out of the crawlspace to talk with Renee, so excuse some of the rougher audio coming up.
1: This is this awesome, overwhelming feeling of being sad. It's horrible. So It's like something happened to her, but she won't tell me. And she's just so she, sad. It's. What's her name? Her name is Emily. She told you
0: yeah. I made my way back with good news. The staff were still going to be cleaning for another thirty minutes to an hour, and they told us we could stick around.
1: And she's not telling me much, but whatever it is, like I sat in there and I felt like I wanted to just fucking start crying. It's horrible. It's a horrible, it a horrible feeling. feeling. Like, yeah.
0: This whole night had been somewhat of a roller coaster, bouncing from floor to floor, trying to get something from what Sarah was seeing and sensing. I realized I hadn't really updated the staff much. So I asked General Manager Molly and Bar Manager Sam if they could step out onto the second floor patio for a recap. I know I needed a breather, and I'm sure Sarah did too. Plus, I wanted to hear what Sarah made of it all now that the night was coming to an end.
1: So initially, um, talking to you, i was still kind of upset, so hold on. I'm trying to put myself in check. Um, initially walking in, there was really nothing. Like I didn't really feel too much, um, just a nice pull to come upstairs. So we did a walkthrough up the stairs and, you know, I caught a a couple of spirits. One is not, it's a woman not associated with the building. So I don't know if she was just a random passerby or somebody who's walking through. I'm not quite sure why I got that image of her. But there was a really strong male presence. And the interesting thing is he's very... The first thing you'll see from him is his mustache. He has a big, thick mustache. Um, He was very initially just kind of standoffish. I think he was more surprised that I was here, uh, trying to figure out what I'm doing here. And upon us going upstairs is when we found the little prankster so initially came off as a as a prankster i could only see quick flashes kind of darting in and out up and down the stairs in and out of the office up and down the little uh, attic way the prankster doesn't seem to want to be in the same room as the man and the man will shift through the room and kind of push the prankster kind of around so it's kind of a really strange uh, behavior So with a nice controlled experiment, um, I had Renee stand at the top of the stairs at the attic and kind of flush them both down. Um, but the man kind of just didn't stay where we were at. He kind of just left. Uh, but my prankster kind of came in clear. And initially, I, I wasn't quite sure if it was going to be a girl or not, but it is. It's a girl. She's adorable. She's got really pretty wavy hair. She's wearing a cute little dress. She asked a lot of questions. I think her curiosity was more surrounded about, you know, Renee, is he going to hurt her? Is he not going to hurt her? When we went back upstairs, though, it was a different type of... Like, she wanted to tell me something, but wasn't sure if she could trust me to tell me. Um, um, and uh, Stephen went to open the... I guess it was a small maybe walkway door or a crawl through space and the initial reaction I got from not just her but also from the man who suddenly decided to disappear was don't open that door but there's this instant overwhelming feeling of like the best word for it is just like despair or sadness in that area in that space and she popped in gave me a, little, a good little scare because I wasn't expecting to see her behind all those boxes back there. But she was very urgent, very um, a totally different demeanor from somebody who's doing a prank to an urgent message, like I need you to do something or I need you to see something. Um, I don't know. When we closed the door at that point that man never left, but he did come two steps up into the Up into the stairwell, like towards me. So I'm not quite sure what he's trying to stop me from looking at or stop me from talking. So I just said, okay, fine, I'm gonna reopen the door. So when I reopened the door, I kind of sat in the doorway, kind of just talking and chit chatting with her. And as I was reaching for it, she went ahead and said, My name is Emily. I am her. And she was, I don't, the images that I was getting were not favorable images. There was, almost like she was kept there or tortured or was afraid of any man. Multiple virages of things that I was seeing at, and it was just this constant sorrow or sadness or trying to get out. It was a horrible feeling. And then she just disappeared on me again. Um, But this man never left. He never left the stairwell. And this time he's a little more more menacing, a little more kind of like you need to leave uh, towards me. And that's okay, because I'm not going to leave. Not yet. Um, but I'm not quite sure what the association is. I don't know why they're not in the same room together. I don't know what is, what's what's happening between there. She's not upset. It's this man. He's upset. He's upset now that I'm here. She's not harmful. She just likes to play. She likes to play. She likes to make noises. She likes to creep up the stairs because it makes noise and it scares the staff. Um, she likes to mess around downstairs in the kitchen which means she's probably you probably see flashes of her running through the kitchen or you'll see things move around or you'll put something down and then come back and it's not there um so she's more of a, a prankster she likes to do that it's, it's entertainment i think for her but for some strange reason i'm getting a feeling she's just kind of stuck here she's not able to leave i've asked what she wants me to do but i'm not getting an answer so i don't know
0: Thankfully, Molly said we could stick around for a bit longer to see if we could get a little more from Emily about what she wanted, so we headed back up to the third floor. Sarah said the man was still standing on the stairs, so she crawled back into the crawl space to see if Emily would tell her more if she was out of the man's line of sight. But the man seemed to keep interrupting their line of communication, even though he was still just on the stairwell. Sarah crawled out, frustrated with him.
1: What? Oh my god. What?
0: But she said the man was screaming, trying to keep Emily from telling her what she needed to tell her. It was then that I had an idea. I remembered Sarah mentioning the man wouldn't pass the second step coming up the third floor stairwell. I remembered how placing Renee on the stairs worked to get the prankster back down to the second floor. So I wanted to see what the Mel Spirit would do if we put Renee on the second step with him. Renee was game, so we tried it.
1: Block the second
0: <laughs> step? Get on the second step. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then I'll go up, you block the second step, and then I'll coax her out. Maybe that'll work.
0: Should we leave this door open or closed? Okay.
1: Oh. You are such a safe space.
0: Apparently, it worked again. I went with Sarah down the stairs. She wanted to check to see where the male spirit had gone to. Apparently, he'd just flown out the door. And according to Sarah, as soon as that happened, Emily came down the stairs and stood right by Renee.
1: You stay right there. You stay with him, okay? Don't move.
0: Sarah wanted to step out onto the second floor to see if she could see where the man had darted off to, but he appeared to have disappeared or gone into hiding. Now she wanted to see if she could have a conversation with Emily, who was apparently still standing right by Renee midway up the stairwell. She stayed with her. That's
1: good.
0: So Sarah and I stood at the bottom of the stairs looking up at Renee. Then Sarah did something I've never seen her do before. She closed her eyes, then asked Emily to communicate with her through her mind
1: we're gonna do this inside our head ready
0: ready just then I could physically see a change in Sarah her hand rose up shakily and she put her palm on her forehead her eyes winced she shook her head then she outstretched her hand signaling stop to Emily
1: okay no I don't wanna see that I need you to tell me what what you want me to do she wants him to go she wants to stay does okay. she give you anything else? Yeah. All right, now it'd be a good time to tell me what they did to her, because I just saw the worst images on the planet. Can we go outside real quick?
0: Okay. I didn't want Sarah to tell me what she saw just yet. I wanted Molly to be there. So we went back out into the upstairs patio.
1: She does not like hair. She wants them gone. And those images I saw were horrid. So whatever they did to her was so bad. Um,
0: I know it's not easy sometimes but I don't want to give you anything can you just tell us what you think
1: they just abused her over and over and over again it was so bad it was so bad it's like she was trapped and she was suffocated and she was just there was something that some, nobody should go through something like that especially not a child it's just wrong So this man, I don't know what this, it's like he's got this trap on her, like he's got her trapped here. The thing is, for her, she's okay being here, she just doesn't want him to be here. She's made that really, really clear, and she's afraid of him. When she came at me, I mean, it was like them running up the stairs and him throwing her down, like just multiple things over, it was like a barrage of images over over and over and over and over and over. Like she threw them all at me at once. But he's smart because he's not messing with anybody here. He's not messing with the staff. He's not doing anything. He's just oppressing her. That's like his job is to just oppress. That's why he's always watching. He's always vigilant. I think you guys haven't had a sensitive person in here in a while because he's made sure. Like maybe he makes them uncomfortable or feeds them nothing. I think the nothing I got was from him, like a block. When I initially walked in, so it wasn't until I started prying, and I think that's why he was kind of looming. I think he wanted... He was trying to trick me into thinking there was nothing here.
0: We had to wrap up after this last conversation. It was almost 1.30 in the morning and the staff were exhausted. We said our goodbyes and Sarah and Renee and I chatted a bit to ourselves in the parking lot. Things didn't feel quite finished, but we weren't sure of what the next step would be. Both Sarah and I knew we wanted to dive into researching the place now. Get a little bit further than what I had already done. Also, Renee had snapped a photograph with his phone while Sarah and he were on the third floor by themselves just shortly after I'd shown them the crawlspace for the first time. I had gone downstairs and he and Sarah were up there alone when he took this picture. He shared the image with me because it had something unusual in it. It was hard to see it on the phone and it was getting late so he just texted it to me and we parted ways and I was going to look at it later. When I got home I decided to pull the image up on my computer for a closer look. Now I'm extremely skeptical of paranormal photos. I'm usually not impressed with these because they're mostly photos of orbs and about 99% of the time orbs are simply bugs or specks of dust hitting light. On occasion there's some that emit their own glow and light and those are interesting. But this picture that Rene had sent me, it was no orb. It was a black figure standing near the top of the stairs. on the third floor. Renee was standing back near the office, shooting the pic of Sarah standing to the left of the crawlspace door. To her right, near the stairwell, is this large black mass, blocking out the light against the stairwell wall. And even more disturbing, I couldn't shake the fact that I was seeing an image that looked a lot like a face. It was smoky, wafting up from the ground, up into the black mass, centered in it, and what made it even creepier was that it was looking menacingly directly at the camera at me now staring back at it on my computer screen I got chills and I had to show my wife she recalled taking a photo from a similar position the night before she quickly pulled it up I wanted to try to debunk this image surely this couldn't be what it looked like there had to be something else it could be when we finally found the image that is from nearly the same vantage point that my wife took it didn't make us feel any better there was clearly something unexplainable standing where nothing existed in Renee's photograph the light against the wall of the stairwell was the dead giveaway in this In my wife's photo, the wall is well lit up. In Renee's photo, it's completely black. The only thing I thought it could be is that perhaps the light in the stairwell could be turned off. And I was going to have to check that the next time we went back to the tavern, if there ever was going to be a next time. The next day, I got a voicemail from Sarah. So, after we
2: went to the tavern, I kind of left there with a little bit of a feeling that something was not right. Um, So I went home and did some nice little meditation and some crystal work and I started getting <clears throat> a man like coming, you know, trying to get a hold of me, like trying to connect. Um, so I concentrated just try to see if I could open up that bridge. It was just really difficult. I've never really experienced um something like that where someone's trying to reach out and they I can't get to them. Uh so it took a couple of days before I could get Walter Um, from this man and the interesting part is that I got it all backwards and I didn't even realize I had the name until I started actually looking at what I was drawing. I was drawing it um, on a notepad. So I want to go back to the tavern because after talking to Renee, um, I have a theory that maybe he's being held there on purpose, not necessarily wanting to be there I don't think Emily wants him to be there either. So it's one of those really weird, just an internal feeling
0: that I think she's being held there by some, or someone else. We had another name now, Walter. And we also had the photograph from the attic stairwell that we could not explain. But this wasn't enough. The tavern story just wasn't finished for us yet. We knew we were going to have to go back. And this time we would actually find the elusive third spirit and they would shed light on this tragic story surrounding this tavern. This story continues on episode four. We return to the tavern with Sarah for a second investigation, get a panicked phone call from Molly who informs us that a shaken employee just saw something in the stairwell that resembles what we captured in our photograph, and I myself start to realize I have a few pieces to this mystery hidden in my very own audio files. Thanks for listening to Episode 3 of The Night Owl Podcast. To see the photograph of the figure on the stairs Renee took, visit our blog page for this episode. Just visit thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the blog tab, and click on Episode 3's blog link. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and subscribe to our channel. You can visit us at thenightowlpodcast.com, and if you have a story to tell, please email me at thenightowlpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to take this time to thank our musician friends who have sponsored this episode, Nicholas Fair out of Corpus Christi, and P.D. Wilder from Austin, Texas. You can get a link to their websites or their work on our website. Stay restless, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember,
2: your first master is completely free.